For too long, the fertility market has been bewildering, overwhelming, and frankly, I think has downright ignored the needs and difficult experiences of the people they're supposed to be serving. Ovum has made it their mission to change this completely. Now, I am extremely choosy about who I promote on this podcast because I'm very protective of my listeners and audience, which is why you've probably only ever heard one spoken ad like this before. So it's with complete confidence, excitement and pride that I can share this amazing company with you. Ovum care about you, truly. From creating products to support conception and fertility that are designed by doctors and backed by the latest science without cutting any corners, from adding access to meditations I've personally written and recorded inside their pregnancy test boxes, Ovum is founded by individuals who've navigated infertility themselves. I really couldn't be more proud to partner with them and tell you about them. Ovum is driven by the belief that everyone who is trying to conceive deserves better, and I am 100% behind this ethos. So head over to startwithovum.com and use code LIFERAFT10 for 10% off their tests and supplements. Hello and welcome back to the TTC Life Raft. It's episode seven and this is the podcast empowering you through infertility or loss. The Obamas, Michelle and Barack, are actually part of our gang. Who knew? So we had Michelle Obama announcing publicly that they experienced miscarriage and went on to conceive their daughters through IVF. So many people just so grateful, so thankful that Michelle Obama was sitting there and normalising this conversation. And I put a quote of hers on Instagram, which I just loved. And she said, I think it's the worst thing that we do to each other as women, not share the truth about our bodies and how they work. Bravo is all I can say. I just think that was absolutely brilliant. So very exciting to keep these conversations opening up. We also had World Kindness Day the other day. I mean, I'd never heard of World Kindness Day. And frankly, there's so many days and awareness things and all kinds of bits and pieces which are going on. How can you possibly keep up? But I do like the idea of World Kindness Day. And I'm going to share another quote, which I used on Instagram on World Kindness Day, which was this from Lady Gaga. I've been searching for ways to heal myself. And I found that kindness is the best way. I mean, it sums it up really, doesn't it? And it leads me really nicely on to introducing the guest for this episode because we had a really interesting conversation and a lot of it was around compassion and self-compassion and being kinder to ourselves. And I'm going to just read what Michelle, my guest today, what she says on her own blog about why she started to write. So she says, this blog was born out of silence at a time that my heart was heavy with emotions that I struggled to identify and my head was overflowing with words that I struggled to speak. I write about baby loss and the everlasting ripples this has on life, parenting and mental health. There is no quick fix or escape route from grief, even for therapists. This is a blog on what it is to be human. I asked Michelle to introduce herself. So here she is. It's hard to know what order to kind of put these things in because, uh, you know, who am I, what do I do? I think it's quite a tricky question to answer. Or well, certainly I find it so now because um, I feel like I wear different hats. In my job, I'm a psychologist, a clinical psychologist, and have been for a very long time. I've worked in the NHS for 15 years. And I also am a mum um, to two girls. My first daughter, Orla, was stillborn in 2016 at full term. And then her younger sister was born just 11 months later. Um, So that was quite an overwhelming time, to say the least. But after Orla died, I set up a blog. Sometimes I find it hard to even remember sort of how that came about, because it feels like it was in those sort of really hazy, kind of numb days of early grief. But I set up a blog, um, an Instagram account, and other social media accounts to link up with other parents who'd been through loss. And at that time, my, my blog was called Dear Orla. And it was because my husband and I had started writing letters every day to Orla in the year, the first year after she was born, just as a way, I guess, of processing our grief and feeling some kind of connection with her. 
and more recently I have changed the name of the blog which I think kind of reflects just where I am emotionally in terms of my mental health and also I think just where I am in my life as well where I'm sort of trying to think about my role as a psychologist and my role as someone within the baby loss community so my new blog is called From the Other Chair and where I talk about being someone who's experienced postnatal depression and has sat in the other chair so I've been in therapy and um, you know had support from a perinatal mental health team and really sort of been on the other side and I think that that has changed who I am as a person and who I am as a psychologist and I just wanted to sort of I suppose acknowledge that and take my blog in that direction really to think about what's it like to be a therapist or any other kind of professional working with people who are vulnerable and what's it like to be on the other side and receiving support and treatment and therapy. I mean, there's so much to <laughs> Sorry, that was, that was like the, the longest intro ever, sorry. <laughs> no, don't apologise. It's, it's just, I mean, it's just incredible how much you've been through over the last only two years. Yeah, two, yeah, two and a half years. Having a baby is a massive thing mm. to go through. Mm. So you, you've had two in that time. Yeah. Two full-term pregnancies, two births. Yeah. Very different experiences. The days um, when we first came back from hospital, my husband, Andy and I, I remember it was, it was actually a really lovely sort of sunny time and we would just sit in the garden in silence just on our laptops searching for people's stories. So when we were in hospital we were advised about SANS, the charity, um, who support people who've gone through stillbirth and neonatal death. And you know just sort of literally reading every single bit of that website because there's lots of stories on there from everyone's perspective so mums and dads and aunts and uncles and friends and we would I mean we were literally just trying to kind of absorb the whole internet and sort of say okay look there are other people out there who've been through this because we had no idea that this happened and it happened a lot to people and you know through there you sort of find I think I found a few blogs and some of them really spoke to me I really sort of related to how they were processing their loss and how their sort of lives had changed and just how they've moved forwards in their life carrying what they've been through and I think I just sort of thought well there's all these voices out there and they've helped me in my darkest moments and I just want to kind of be part of that and add to that just wanting to kind of I guess be another voice as you know just another one out there and also it was about trying to kind of connect with other people so as soon as I started delving into Instagram and the hashtags about around baby loss and stillbirth and stillborn yeah you just realized that there were loads of people so I was kind of thinking well I just wanted to be part of that because I felt really alone and really isolated and I didn't have any friends who had been through something similar who I could turn to in the same way like don't get me wrong they were amazingly supportive but I just needed other people to kind of go oh god yeah I have those really dark thoughts too oh yeah I have those really intense ugly feelings that I don't want to have I just wanted to know that other people were having those too it must have been also reassuring for other people reading that from your perspective as a psychologist to admit to feeling those kind of feelings Mm. as well I mean was that hard for you to do what were the most I suppose challenging feelings that came up I mean there would have been so many I'm sure but I have to say there was this moment that I just thought I'm allowed to swear on here yeah Yeah. definitely (laughs) it It was a real like fuck it moment it was this sense of I I truly thought in that moment when, when Orla died that I was just so devastated I couldn't imagine that I would ever go back to my life before I thought I'm never going to go back to work I'm never going to be a psychologist again I not everything kind of became pointless meaningless I you know it really was a sense of right well if that's the case I'm just going to lay it all out there because as a psychologist you you are trained and primed from the moment you start your career to be really quite private to be closed you're not allowed to have any sort of social media accounts that talk about yourself personally you are just yeah, very very much encouraged not to share anything about yourself because it's quite it makes the therapeutic relationship quite complicated when you're working with vulnerable people that how you know you don't want them to be burdened with your stuff so you know, to sort of even put something out there and go hi I'm Michelle and my baby died 
was really just very exposing to put myself out there and say I have all these horrible thoughts and feelings I feel like I don't want to continue anymore I want to crawl into a hole and never come out I get really jealous yeah all of those sorts of things was very exposing and I, I I remember I wrote a blog post really near the beginning sort of having to put it out there as to why am I doing this because I felt this was in my own mind I mean I don't I didn't ex- I've not experienced anything from other psychologists or other healthcare professionals who said this to my face but I just felt really I guess I felt a bit judged I felt like people were judging what I was doing and almost I felt like I had to put it out there in writing and say this is why I'm doing it this is my rationale mm-hmm. this was a few weeks down the line after the like never going to be a psychologist again I'm never going to go back to my old life yeah I just felt like I had to sort of justify what I was doing and that was my own stuff that was you know about how I felt about things but there is definitely a culture within I think mental health services that there is there's like a them and us and Mm. I think although we sort of say well this could happen to anyone I think sometimes there is a sense of well if it does happen to you you've got to keep it quiet right don't talk about it and that's not babe loss that's kind of more about your emotional mental well-being which isn't that completely the opposite of what (laughs) you're kind of advised to do if you if you do experience mental health issues isn't i mean don't we need to talk if we go through stuff yeah yeah. and that's the case for whether or not you're a mental health professional absolutely i think it's just this it's just an added dimension that you're having to juggle if you work in that arena and the reality is there's no hiding the fact that your baby has died when you've been in work on the Friday 37 weeks pregnant and then the following week you're no longer pregnant and you don't have a baby so it's not one of those things clients knew clients had to be told I wasn't going to come back for my final week of work and they were told why so it kind of doesn't make sense, does it, to sort of say, well, don't talk about how bad it was. Mm. But, you know, don't get me wrong. Like, I think I don't think there's a right or wrong. I think this was just how it was for me. And mm. I, I've grappled with whether it was the right thing or not. And I continue to kind of wrestle with that a bit. You were talking about old life and new life, as it were. Mm. So pre-Orla and after Orla. Is mm. that kind of how you see things? I do. I do. I, do. I mean, I had, I, I had an early loss the year before Orla was born and I didn't feel that that shifted my identity too much I had an ectopic pregnancy and I had, actually had to have surgery and had a tube removed so it was you know I suppose quite a traumatic um, event but I did get pregnant fairly quickly afterwards and I don't know I didn't feel that that was a, a hugely pivotal moment it was significant and it was important but yeah I felt like there's there's a before me and there's an after me and Orla is the punctuation mm. in that. Mm. And yeah. I think what a lot of people struggle with, um, and what I struggled with it during when we when we were trying just when we were trying to get pregnant, was that I felt like I became someone different mm. while we went through that. And I for a while I didn't really like who I'd become yeah. for lots of reasons. And I managed or I found ways through that. Mm. And while I'm definitely not comparing what we've been through because we were speaking before about how comparison in all of these circumstances just serves no purpose um you know what I'm really interested in is this versions of us the versions Mm. of ourselves and Mm. how can we be comfortable with the new versions of ourselves how can we accept who we are becoming because of life events that we have no control over it's such an interesting it's such an interesting thing because I think Unless maybe you've gone through something significant in your life before going through fertility struggles or losing a baby. And I feel like I was one of those lucky ones who didn't really have any hugely... Things have happened in my life, but not to the same kind of level of pain and distress. That I was blissfully ignorant and naive to the fact that you will go through difficult life experiences and they will change the kind of the core of who you are this sense of us being static beings I think is it's not it's just not realistic and we are a product of our experiences and what we've lived through and I sometimes wonder kind of think oh like would I would I want to be the person I was before 
and yes definitely but I I suppose but that that's in the context of I'd rather have not gone through loss but actually there's so many things that are different about me because of Orla because of her life and death um that I wouldn't yeah I wouldn't want to to change that and take that away because it's almost like it would eradicate her from my history I really relate to that I think that that's part and 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 for some people listening to that they they say but are you what how can you possibly say that what how mm. we, but actually it's about i i don't know maybe it's a kind of acceptance of of what's happened and that yeah. kind of em, it, i don't know if embracing is the right word because it's it, it's a bit of a i don't know not sure if it's the right word but that kind of like right this is this is what's happened mm. it's informed who i am therefore let's take what i can from that yeah maybe I think it's, yeah, it's a compassionate acceptance is definitely what I'm sort of working on in therapy and sort of trying to, yeah, but accept the bits of me that are different and think about how they fit with my values and who I am and who I want to be, but not trying to kind of eradicate it and pathologise it, that actually there are bits of me that are very different and that's okay. I'm just having to learn to be okay with that and be compassionate towards myself and that process and I mean there's I know that there's a some talk um within sort of the more positive psychology world about post-traumatic growth and the sense that you kind of gain something from adversity in life there are bits of you that you um you know things that might develop in your life your personality that you think gosh actually I, I like this this is a you know something that's above and beyond getting back to who I was before it's something new it's something that I feel quite um good about and positive about and there's you know aspects of that I I do relate to um I don't know I think I think it's something that people sometimes feel pressure to Mm. that whole sort of lemons and lemonade and but you know this pressure to find something good out of what you've been through and I would say I think lots of people do and can do that but I don't think people should feel under pressure to that, that's I, I find I, I think that's a very a big pressure to put on people that you've got to find some positives oh. in this <laughs> totally and I think there's a real issue around that in especially within the trying to conceive kind of mm. community with this whole positive thinking mentality and and don't get me wrong you know I, I am a very positive person and I believe you know in in helping myself feel positive but there is a real problem with with going no, it's okay because we can find something good about this rubbish mm, thing that's mm. happened. And actually, it's more about a natural, kind of organic thing Absolutely. that might come out. But what needs to happen first is just that that you have to process it. Yeah, you have to grieve. It. You have to, and I, I do think it's a, a grieving process, isn't it? This. I'm not the person I was. I'm not living the life that I thought I was going to or that I hoped I was going to. That is another loss on top of loss in terms of fertility, miscarriages, other other baby pregnancy loss. I think it's it is a process and you're right, you can't sort of jump you can't jump that stage because you're gonna have to go back and go through it at another point. It'll go, it'll come out some other time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like there's a there's a there's a process is exactly the word and journey you know we we kind of cringe when we say journey yeah yeah you know I'm I'm reclaiming journey because I think that that's exactly what it is you know we come from one place and we we are going to another place and Mm. we are always you're always on a journey you know that that is just how that's just how life sort of goes and the bits that you have to process during your journey are yeah. actually what's going to shape you but I'm really yeah. yeah that's really interesting I didn't know that it had a word it had a word post-traumatic growth, growth that's yeah what it's called, right? yeah I mean it, it's it's not it's interesting because I've thought about this a lot recently because I I didn't have lots of training on that in my clinical training because when you work in mental health you see people who are coming with difficulties distress problems that they've been through traumas they've experienced and your job is to kind of get them to a point of in inverted commas like wellness you know back to maybe a level of functioning that they may have had pr- you know prior to them developing this difficulty or um helping them to discover uh, you know life worth living if it's someone who's had more kind of very complex lifelong trauma but the nhs isn't set up to kind of see people beyond once someone gets to a level of wellness that they are discharged and they kind of move forward whereas 
actually there's stuff I guess that can go on beyond that where people find a different meaning in what they've been through or they change something in their lives that um, integrates this sense of what they have experienced yeah that's some kind of growth and I suppose I don't really see that because that's not how the NHS functions can't you know there is no money for it to function in that way it's a newer thing that I'm sort of thinking about in I suppose my personal life but also at work go and google it and read all yeah, about it that's, that's really interesting because that's definitely you know that that's something that I I'm really fascinated with is personal growth personal development mm. and what what other things that we can do but if we go back a bit so just going back to that process and I think what's so powerful is doing those exercises that you talk about in your blog so you talk about doing chair work yes which I'm really interested in and I think uh, we'll we'll talk about that um, in a sec, and also letter writing. Yes, yeah. So two really, really kind of concrete tools that you use. So mm. should we talk about the chair work? Yeah, like, yeah. Okay. I mean, lots of different types of therapies use chair work, and I mean, when I say different types of therapies, I mean sort of different models and schools of um, therapeutic work. I I've used it more in the work that I do in a therapy called schema therapy which is for people who've had kind of more lifelong difficulties, um, maybe in their sort of relationships or managing their mood. Um, and we would sort of, it's quite, it's a very intensive therapy. You see someone for quite a long time um, and you are getting them to understand the different maybe modes that they might kind of flip into at different points of time when they're feeling vulnerable. So they might have certain modes that are for coping and other modes where they're more vulnerable and other modes that might be more acting out, sort of difficult thoughts and feelings that they're experiencing so you might do some chair work where you get people like you will have a room and you'll have to make sure there's enough chairs in there to you know represent all these different aspects of that person's personality and you get them to kind of move between the chairs and talk from that perspective from that part of them um, what they would say in this situation to the other bit of them or to someone else in their life or to me as their therapist and it just helps people put kind of words and an identity to these different bits so that they kind of learn to understand what their function is and why 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 these parts of them exist and why they kind of maybe come to occupy those bits of themselves at different times but also it helps them to develop I think some compassion for those bits because I think we can all relate to aspects of our personality that we've maybe struggle with a bit more like why am I someone who gets really angry at these things? Or why am I someone who becomes very passive and lets people kind of walk all over me? And it's, yeah, learning to identify where does that come from and why and what would that person say and how can you build up that bit of your personality that you want to kind of build up or maybe shrink the other bit that you're sort of struggling with. And it sounds, I mean, I have to say, it does sound out there. It sounds a bit... (laughs) Well, to me, it doesn't sound out there at all. And I think that maybe that comes... So I went to drama school after university and I trained as as an actress. And that's something that you do in acting training. And, you you know, you you sit in in a chair, people will kind of bombard you with questions and you just have to be that character and you have to try and find different... and And it gives you that kind of 360 I yeah, suppose yeah. and you end up really like delving into Reversed, char- char- exactly yeah. exactly and so that's just a way of doing it for your own character yeah. so I just think that's really fascinating that on you know both and I think acting training is, is actually brilliant for understanding yourself yeah. understanding other people oh, absolutely you know empathizing yeah. compassion it's in, it's 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 definitely you know it gave me a really amazing way to Look at perspective taking and people isn't it? and trying to exactly exactly perspective yeah. taking so that to me sounds so it doesn't like sound a out totally there. normal thing to do because <laughs> i think i mean it really dep- i think it depends on your yeah, people's experiences and sometimes in therapy where you're introducing the idea some people really take to it some people struggle a bit more but actually once people kind of because it, it is quite it, it's very exposing and it and yeah for some people it's a bit embarrassing and but actually, if you're able to, you know, if you've built up a good therapeutic relationship and made it a safe space, it's incredibly powerful and it helps people to just understand, you know, that sort of inner dialogue that sometimes you have where there's like almost bits of you arguing in your head mm-hmm. is completely externalising that and you can kind of see it almost, you know, from a third person perspective. And 
it, yeah it is it's an amazing tool it really is I think that's amazing I think and then just yeah I, I like to do that I've spoken about this before in the podcast but kind of recognizing those feelings and giving them characters yeah to me is a really powerful tool to oh my goodness distance totally. myself from them yeah and that's it like you know externalizing things can be a very helpful way to just give it um something that's kind of it's not you it's about it may be a part of you but it's not all of you mm. there's a really interesting article on the bbc um website i don't know if it's still on it's been trending for a while about a woman who has named her ocd and she's got a character, and it's all drawn. Out. I mean, it's amazing. It's a really, it's a really worth a read. That's really interesting. Mm. Um, yeah, I think. Char- I mean, yeah, I'm very into characterising things. Maybe that's a drama. So it makes sense know. now. But yeah, sense. yeah. <laughs> but to me, that that's such a useful way of looking at things. And I think the mm. chair, yeah, that chair exercise sounds amazing. And the letter writing. So mm. obviously, you used that when you started your blog. It was all letters to Orla. Yeah. Well, the. I mean, so I've got, actually, we've still got this separate Instagram account that's completely private, and that that was where we shared letters, and I've shared a couple of them on the blog, um, but actually, most of the letters are, they've not been seen by anyone apart from myself and Andy, hmm. and it, I mean, I, I, I remember writing the first one, it was the morning after she'd been born, we were at home, I was lying in bed, and I just wrote, set up this, I mean, we were sat there in silence in bed, I just kind of set it up, wrote this letter and turned to Andy and said, oh, I've done this. Do you want to have a read? And he was like, and to my surprise, he was like, oh, you know, that's really good. Maybe we could do this together. And I hadn't expected that at all. And then we would sort of take it in turns. So each, we'd take alternate days to write letters. It was a very powerful thing, I think, in terms of feeling connected to all her memory, the fact that we were trying to process the fact that she existed even though she wasn't there anymore but it did give us tools to communicate with each other and I don't want to be stereotypical but men certainly Andy is different from me in how we think about emotions and express how we're feeling and it just gave me at times just an insight into what was going on for him and it's not that he was pouring out loads of emotions in those letters but he would you know he would share a photo and things sort of say how it made him think about something and that, I wouldn't have known that had we not been doing this. And I found that just a, a, a very helpful process for us as a couple going through something really difficult. How have you found it with Andy? I mean, how's the... It's a really personal question, sorry. It's <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, um, I've never met Andy. I don't know Andy, <laughs> just to clarify. It's, I mean, I guess we're lucky in that we have found a way to kind of process what we've been through together you know I think we are different people we probably process things slightly differently but we've you know the overall it's been kind of okay he's much more of a probably a doer he had I mean he had to go back to work fairly quickly whereas I had maternity leave um but he, you know, he wanted to do things like bike riding and um just wanted to kind of find some meaning in doing something and I suppose to a certain degree I've probably done that as well, but it's less physical activity and more kind of blogs and things like that. It's one of those things that relies on communication. I mean, it'd be interesting, actually, if we hadn't written those letters, would it have been different? Mm. I don't know, maybe it would. I do mm. I do think it had, uh, you know, big impacts on how we got through that year of firsts, because that first year is quite quite difficult every time you have a milestone yeah and I think they're still I mean they're still hard we were only into our like sort of second year yeah but... and managing a very small child as well yeah so oh my goodness right so let's talk about that um so you got pregnant quite quickly after Orla died yeah I have to say I'm a very compliant person I'm t- I do what I'm told <laughs> and I was told don't try for 12 weeks so I didn't and yeah <laughs> This is just really part of my personality. This is uh, very kind of ingrained. I can relate to that as well. There's no one, you know, really, like, actually I could have done what I wanted, but, you know, I I did what I was told. Um, And we were very lucky that it happened very quickly after that. And I I remember having this conversation with my midwife who was saying, look, I, I understand that you were going to desperately want to have another baby and you're going to want to do that really quickly. And whilst there's never a good time to do this, if you get pregnant within the sort of the three months, you are going to be pretty much going through pregnancy at exactly the same time. So having scans at the same time as you did just a year ago. 
and that might be tricky but you know even if it's like six months down the line it might but I think there's something about the change in seasons and times of year that really anchor you to certain memories I didn't listen to that <laughs> and well I think I mean I, I guess it's just how it worked out that, that we did end up falling pregnant at a really similar time to the year before when we fell pregnant with Orla so actually the milestones were all their due dates were you know I think three or four weeks apart mm. so yeah, about four weeks apart so yeah really heavy sort of going through that year of firsts plus going through pregnancy after loss which is just yeah. a whole other ball game but also there's no there's no good way is there really like you know if you've gone through that year of first and you were trying to conceive that's really difficult that there's no there's no kind of good you know, outcome I guess in in not the good outcome maybe that's not the right term but there's no easy road through it I think that's what I'm trying to say because obviously I feel like obviously we had a very good outcome because we've managed to take a baby home mm. just a year later mm. but it was tricky it was difficult do you have any advice for people who are going through pregnancy after loss because I know there's a mm. lot of people who listen to this podcast who will be interested to hear about that and I'm sure pregnancy after fertility treatment as well like yeah because you're carrying so much stuff like emotional stuff mm-hmm. oh gosh I think this is like a, a whole thesis yeah. really it really is <laughs> I think get a good support network around you because there is no easy way through this that you I mean you either sort of feel all the feelings or you completely shut off from them but either way it's tricky I think you need from my perspective I found it really helpful to have a good support network around me like professionally so I had an amazing midwife we were under consultant care. I had a few more scans. But also, I had a very low threshold for being monitored. I'd just rock up to maternity assessment unit and just be strapped up. And they, you know, by the end, they knew me and mm. they knew when I was coming. So I would say all of those things. like, And it will be different depending on what your personal experience is about when your baby died and why they might have died. So there's like lots of specialist clinics out there. Tommy's have specialist clinics. So I think I would just say just get that professional network around you peer supports people going through it at the same time mm-hmm. it's really powerful just to be able to just message someone and say look I'm feeling really anxious and for someone to kind of go yeah I know what that feels like and I know right now I think like you can find support from people who've been through it I think it's finding people who are going through it at the same time is really helpful I think that's amazing advice actually because that because I remember finding people before before Instagram TTC community kind of existed when we were going through our first uh, fertility struggle and we're trying to conceive again now but the first time I spoke to people you know my sister's friends who have been through it who were really lovely and helpful mm. but they had there's a degree they had of separation two, from exactly. it. Exactly. They, yeah. they, and they were really understanding. Yeah. But also they'd already been down the, you know, they'd had, they'd had their, yeah. their outcome. Yeah. And obviously it's funny because I'm sitting here talking to people who probably are on the other side and who haven't been through pregnancy or even had a baby mm. yet. Um, and then there'll be people who have lost yeah. babies. Um, you know, there'll be a whole cross section of people listening to this and, whatever perspective you're coming from while you're listening to this you know I think peer support is an amazing piece of advice I mean it's priceless it really is and you can have the best professional team around you but there's nothing quite like someone saying yeah I felt I feel like that too Mm. you just can't buy that that stuff I think just I don't know like uh, sometimes I feel this pressure from being a psychologist like that there should be some advice I could give that's you know wise psychological words that's <laughs> going to help people and I think the only thing that I can say from my perspective was that I found mindfulness very helpful I, I actually did the eight-week mindfulness-based stress reduction course when I was pregnant for the second time and I found that really helpful because coming from a background where I've done probably my, my focus has been more on like a a CBT cognitive behavioral therapy approach to things like anxiety where you're sort of evaluating okay well let's look at these thoughts and let's evaluate the um, evidence for and against and come up with that maybe a more kind of rounded thought um I found that very difficult and actually used to make me quite angry it made me angry about that that type of therapy and angry at myself for like ever subjecting people to that when actually like it's a really great therapy with a really good out you know really good outcomes Mm. But in that moment, actually, 
rationalizing my thoughts was not going to help me. I just needed to kind of accept that this is what I'm going through. And so with mindfulness, being able to kind of notice thoughts, notice what's going on for me and just think, what do I need right now? And actually what I needed was not for someone to go, it's all right, you're going to be okay. Or, well, actually, let's let's evaluate that thought and see whether that's, is that a helpful thought or is it an unhelpful? Well, it, obviously it's an unhelpful thought. It's really <laughs> unhelpful, but I can't help it. Yeah. Like, I just feel so terrified. Yeah. So I found that whole process of learning to accept and kind of almost make friends with my anxiety, that it's like, it's telling me that I'm having a tough time. It's telling me that, I'm scared is telling me that right now I probably need some reassurance because no one's saying anything to me like oh it's going to be okay this time that wasn't wasn't going to cut the mustard I needed I actually needed to go and have a scan and see that baby or I needed to go and be strapped up to the monitor and hear their heartbeat and even then that reassurance was moment worked in that moment befriending the anxiety which sounds it sounds unhelpful yeah (laughs) no but that that you know that makes a lot of sense when you look at it from that perspective. I think as as the person carrying the baby, you feel an overwhelming pressure and responsibility because you're the only one who can say, is the baby moving? How are you feeling? You know, that kind of stuff. But how powerless your partner feels where they're really worried and they can't do anything to kind of reassure themselves apart from asking you. And that's quite difficult. You know, is the baby moving? You're like, what you mean what do you mean like I don't know are they I don't know I don't know and then it is you're very you are in it together and whilst I had this I had this fantasy that once once you know we have this baby and and hopefully take them home then it's a joint responsibility together and I think that is true to a certain degree but then I I didn't really realize like how much responsibility a mum still has particularly if you're breastfeeding or you're you're the one at home Mm. on maternity leave and but it is anxiety is probably the the overriding feeling, and lots of guilt as well. And going back to that versions of you again, you know, if you were never a sort of anxious person mm. before, and then all of a sudden you're experiencing all this, all these like, I mean, it can manifest itself in so many physical ways as oh, well, absolutely. can't it? So yeah, yeah. Is that just terrifying? Yeah, I found it very scary. I'd like to say I wasn't an anxious person. I, you know, I think I have this idea that. I would love to be a really laid-back person, and I'm not. Like, I think it's. I think society puts a lot on. You know, it's really good to be laid back. It's really good to be positive. But actually, like, how many people can really say, "Yeah, I'm definitely a really laid-back, positive person"? Because <laughs> most of us are quite underneath it. Have a lot of, you know, neuroses about things. Oh, yeah. I'm a total control freak. I didn't oh, realise I yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. But it was. It was <laughs> I honestly didn't know I was. I thought that I was a laid-back person. <laughs> And then when we started trying to get pregnant and I realised how obsessed I became with doing all of the things yeah. that you could possibly do and trying to control everything. And I and, and then I realised, oh, oh, I'm a complete I'm not this person. Freak. I'm not <laughs> laid back. But actually there was power in accepting that that was a part of me yeah. and I'm totally cool with it now. I'm like, I am a control freak. I like to feel in control and that's okay. Yeah. And that's just a way of it's useful to know that that's a part of me because I also understand that sometimes I do need to try and find ways to just chill out about stuff yeah (laughs) which is really hard though if actually your you know overriding drive is to be in control because I think ultimately we all want to be in control of our fate and what's going on in our lives I suppose it's quite a feminist issue as well I think about you know this idea that particularly women should be laid back and chilled and and there's something quite I think negative that is you know portrayed about women who are who want to be in control and you know that idea of control freaks like yeah. you know actually yeah why should why, it be a why freak should, why is it a freak actually Definitely. i just want to be in control of yeah. what's going on in my life yeah. and and i want to be organized you yeah know, i want to be organized i don't want to feel like everything's on top of me and it's all overwhelming exactly. and i feel anxious yeah no, i want to feel calm and organized and energized yeah. and actually then i can be chilled out <laughs> exactly then i can be laid back once my to-do list is all ticked <laughs> yeah, <off. exactly. laughs> but i think i don't know that life experiences like like um fertility difficulties or loss or or anything you know illnesses other traumas they teach you a lot about yourself and also i think teach you that actually it's as much as we like to be in control we like to be organized we can't be there are some things that you just cannot be and I think that for me it was something about learning to 
shift my expectations and accept all these aspects of myself and my life that there are bits that I could control there are bits that I can't there are bits that are going to make me very very anxious and I just need to learn how to kind of be compassionate towards that bit of me yeah. um I, I'm, I'm doing some compassionate focus therapy at the moment like having it myself and mm. um it's it's a really good therapy in that it talks about you know the how the brain develops and it talks about how you know our brains are messy and sticky and they're hardwired to kind of feel very intense emotions and um kind of you know, responses to the stimuli that we have around us um and we, i think we we, we, we live in a culture where that's kind of criticised that you, oh, well, you know, anxiety disorders and we shouldn't feel like this and this is a really bad thing. And there's a lot of negative language around it. But actually, we as humans are just hardwired to feel some of this stuff and experience it. And what we need to do is learn a bit more about how to be compassionate towards that and but learn how to switch on the other bits of our brain, which are about soothing yes. and learning how to regulate and to just be kind to ourselves absolutely and it's understanding and I think for me it only was through my own self-development work that I did that I understood okay what can I control what can't I control and then Mm. once I kind of figured out that that it gave me the uh, insight to understand what I needed and if it was to have a moment of feeling in control then I would you know clear out my cupboards and if it was to feel yeah I love that tidy cupboard I mean oh Oh, the joy but yeah and then when it was acceptance that I couldn't control an outcome of a fertility uh, cycle you know it was understanding okay how can I feel okay about that then and doing that work but you know I feel like you need to do some self-development or some therapy or whatever it is to get to that point where you where you can recognize what it is you need to do absolutely because it's it's an ugly process I think because you're having to really face some bits of you that you might not like and that you might not want Mm -hmm. you can't be all one thing or all another because that's not what it is to be human what it is to be human is to be a big messy pot of positive feelings and difficult feelings and really ugly feelings that we want to hide from people Mm -hmm. and thoughts that we feel very ashamed of and being able to embrace all of that and recognize that this is just what makes us human and everyone has this that's I think that's where the kind of the the development and growth happens absolutely and that's where I think the empowerment happens yeah because then you go it's it's all good it's fine I'm 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 this and I think one of the it's interesting you're talking about compassionate what was it called compassionate focus therapy okay so compassionate focus therapy sounds to me quite similar to a meditation called loving kindness meditation there's lots of meditation in there there's lots and lots of visualizations and lot yeah so it's quite an interest like it's really crossover I mean yeah I mean I think CFT kind of incorporates you know lots of mindfulness based um therapeutic techniques um and yeah it's certainly kind of uh, most therapies they all overlap with each other they, they all sort of borrow bits from each other and I want to say rebrand but you know what I mean yeah. it's just growth it's about you know the how we understand humans and the brain and our emotions is growing all the time and that's really good because um you know, therapies that maybe we used 50 years ago wouldn't necessarily apply as well um but yeah it's very much a um it's a very sort of scientific based therapy in that it really thinks about our evolution as humans but it very much, um, le- you know, lends itself to more um, kind of Eastern thinking practices about mindfulness and acceptance and, um, yeah, just learning how to understand how to be more compassionate towards ourselves. Mm. And, you know, compassion is about courage and leaning into pain. It's not about always feeling positive and always feeling... Um, yeah, always feeling positive and good and, and kind to ourselves. It's about learning how to recognise the really difficult stuff and not run away from it and sit with it. I found that really comforting when I realised that it, it... I just found that like... A, I mean, this I called this whole podcast concept the life raft because to me, I honestly felt like it, it was a life raft when I understood that it was whatever I felt was okay and I had a way to deal with it yeah yeah it it suddenly took the pressure off and I was like whatever happens I'm gonna be okay I really am Mm. because 
because there's all these tools and all these amazing people and all these incredible techniques that I can learn about yeah. that, that are going to help me. Yeah, and it's and different things work for different people. And, and for some people, I, I suppose it, the thing that I always kind of come back to when I'm thinking about loss and any other kind of trauma is that we don't arrive at the trauma that we've gone through as an empty vessel. We're all carrying our own stuff, our own baggage, our own life experiences and we all exist within our communities or networks and for some people they have you know more than others some people have kind of come to loss and they've had lots of other difficult things happen in their life um and some people have sailed through life and have and have an amazing support network around them and i think it goes back to what we were saying about kind of comparison that we can't really compare how we all manage loss because we're all really different people different personalities different experiences and for some people they will find the things that work and help them sooner than others Um, and for some people it might take a bit longer and we need to accept that I think ourselves but also maybe those who are around us supporting us you know I think there's often this sense of oh let's tell someone a positive story about well I know someone and they lost a baby and now they you know run a charity and they've made like you know they're doing really really well and they're doing all this amazing stuff and then the pressure that puts on you to kind of go my god like is that the only like this is this you know this is the only way to kind of get through something difficult is actually to change the world when actually maybe the best thing that you can do is learn how to kind of live your life the way you want to and you know maybe that's going back to your old job and you know going back to you know aspects of your old life with a new perspective a new kind of understanding of things maybe it is kind of doing something completely different and life-changing but yeah I think it's it's just such an individual journey totally word again journey yeah journey (laughs) no it's okay we're reclaiming it yeah Um, we are (laughs) (laughs) I think that leads me back on to my campaign the think what not to say campaign and that kind of oh well I know somebody and this is what their experiences so don't worry every time I talk about this campaign I put my hand up I say I have said wrong things in the past I'm always trying to learn Mm. more about what not to say and I know that on your blog you have a really useful and lovely piece about what to say rather than focusing on what not to Mm. say which is a really a great way around of doing it as well because it really it stops people from feeling overwhelmed and yeah. scared scared of not saying anything and that's part yeah. that's part of the problem and and on the very first episode of this podcast we had a big conversation about what not to say and I, I tried to look at it you know I tried to using kind of chair work perspectives how can we have compassion for the people saying the wrong things oh my goodness absolutely there'll be people that we've met who've gone through different things to you know baby loss or fertility difficulties and we would have said like absolute clangers and not known it because you know that person's not given us feedback and mm-hmm. ultimately yeah we are all human and this is it's hard to talk to people about suffering and pain mm. because often we just want to take it away mm-hmm. pretend it's not happening or alleviate it I mean, we don't want our loved ones to feel bad yeah go through tough times I mean, don't get me wrong, I think there are things that you definitely shouldn't say. Like, I think sometimes it is a good to have a list of, there are there are things that you really shouldn't say. Mm. But I think for me it was more about, um, when I wrote that post, it was more just trying to think about, yeah, how do we understand why people might say things? And how do you, as a person who's trying to, to support someone else, how can you learn to tolerate that you might get it wrong and that that person might give you feedback? Because... I think now, as a psychologist in the therapy room, I would always be inviting clients to tell me when I get it wrong, because I do get it wrong. And what I'm inviting them to say is, tell me if I do something or say something that you find really difficult, or I really don't understand, or I get it, I just get the complete wrong end of the stick. And I need to be able to tolerate that feedback. I need to be able to tolerate them saying, today, I don't really like you. Today, I found you not very understanding. And it's my job to, to kind of go, yeah, okay, that's that's really helpful. I'm really sorry that that's how it's been, and that totally wasn't my intention. What could I do differently? And I suppose we're not asking people to be therapists, mm-hmm. but I just think learning to, it's just so un-British, isn't it? It is, and I think <laughs> I think you know the way that I approached putting that campaign out there was just to use humour, and so I, you know, I 
put together a video of people saying the wrong things and when you look at it from that perspective they are ridiculous yeah. and it is funny because yeah. you just think oh my god I can't believe people say that stuff but people do say that stuff all the time every day right now people are saying these yeah. things and sometimes just looking at it through you know comedy is helpful um, and then also we need to have serious conversations about it and yeah I do absolutely. think times are changing I hope they are before starting my social media I would have probably felt scared of having this conversation with you and mm. scared of saying the wrong thing or you know was I going to be able to respect what you had gone through without saying something which was just going to be stupid <laughs> and but the more that I have tried to educate myself and try to understand perspectives I've recognized that actually it's it's all about that isn't it it's all about education mm-hmm. and just just trying to keep your mind open it's, I think it's just yeah having that openness that um as humans we do tend to kind of want to give platitudes we want to kind of make people feel better and understand it's kind of helping people to stop and reflect on that process because what is it that's driving you to want to say oh do you know what if you just relax I've got a friend and she just relaxed and then she had a baby and it was fine or you know I had a friend and yeah she lost a baby and you know actually she had another baby within a few months when you've just lost a baby that's you might they're not things that maybe you want to hear um, maybe you do I don't know like everyone's different but I suppose it's helping people to understand the people who are saying these things to stop and think what is dry, what's my urge here my urge is I just desperately want you to feel better I desperately want you to feel hope that's what's driving my words and if someone can connect with that and just go do you know what I want to tell you positive stories I want to tell you that everything's going to be okay because I don't want you to be in pain that's it isn't it that's it and it just to recognize that you are trying to fix things which can't actually be fixed yeah. right now yeah and, and that's okay that's quite a powerful thing to to understand I suppose exactly and I think you know it's, I think it's quite a big ask of people and I think for people who are maybe on the receiving end it is learning how to kind of accept and understand that some people aren't going to be able to do that mm. and that's that's okay like yeah. I there were some people who infuriated me in the sort of early days of things I did or didn't say but actually, I, I feel kind of okay about that now. I think it's all a, a process of getting to a point where you can accept it and mm. understand it. I and mean, you know, for some people, you might not want to, and that's okay as well. But we can't expect people to know what to do because it's really hard. Mm. We don't know what to do, and we're living through it. So. Yeah, yeah. The campaign that I'm running also looks at medical professionals understanding what to say and what not to say and well anybody actually in patient facing roles receptionists in clinics yeah. you know colleagues of people going through something everyone really who comes into and I, yeah. I do think that medical professionals and I read um, another brilliant post on your blog from a doctor who was saying actually I don't have specific training for yeah. this and that is a problem isn't it we, we it need is. to yeah. understand that medical professionals and anybody working in that field infertility or baby yeah. loss they do need training yeah. on how to how to speak to people and just support because i think i I, mean, I do a lot of training in my job and i think training is great but often you know you have some training and then you know a year or two years goes by like how much do you retain that it's the kind of ongoing conversations so supervision and consultation and ongoing support for professionals to keep thinking about this stuff because you lose it if you don't use it and I think it's it is a travesty we don't support healthcare professionals enough there is no money most of the time that is the crux of it there's no money for things like this but I think you know particularly healthcare professionals who are engaged in online communities they're the ones who I think are kind of really being able to kind of think and and that will impact their practice Um, but it's not yeah it's it's hard it's a huge thing to infiltrate mm. and there's a lot of work to do there is there but is it's being done it's i think it's just started it's a it's a trickle effect mm. and you know if you can if you can get one person to think differently then they might then pull up a colleague on oh actually it's probably not helpful when you say that and it does kind of trickle through and and also accepting that there are going to be some healthcare professionals who can't do that and I'm not saying that that's okay, but that's the reality. Mm. That's the reality that we work in. So, you know, sometimes it's a generational thing, like how long someone's worked in that job, how they've kind of learned from their seniors, 
because that's how often you learn you look at something and go, oh actually I like the way they work I'm going to just kind of copy them and it, then the pattern repeats through time so it's um to think it's going to change overnight is a you know it's, it's an unrealistic expectation but it's planting those seeds it's a drip 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 effect yeah and it's just no just just starting it and then hopefully you know next generation maybe or maybe the generation after that there'll be a really different approach so on every episode I try to give people a kind of life raft tool mm-hmm. which which they can use and I thought actually maybe the letter writing would be a really good mm. one mm. to do yeah. so can you explain kind of how people can use letter writing whether or not they're going through I know we've spoken about it a little bit yeah how you used it but trying to make it sound more technical than it is <laughs> <laughs> I mean I think essentially um letter writing is a process by which you can sort of get everything that's in your head out onto paper or electronically or however you choose to kind of record things voice memos as well quite powerful like you know but you know the, the, I suppose the idea is it's just getting the stuff out that's swimming around in your head and I know in the fertility community lots of people write letters to fu- their future babies in the lost community lots of people write letters to the, the babies that they've lost but it might also be writing letters to different people in your life that um, either you want to express some gratitude um, or maybe some more difficult feelings of anger and frustration, rage, you know, like the, the whole spectrum of, of things. And um, I mean, most of the time with letters, you, you don't necessarily share them, you don't post them to someone, particularly if they are you know, full of very difficult emotions. Um, and you might write them and never read them again, or you might write them and kind of keep them somewhere else. As part of the mindfulness course I did, at the end of it, you had to write a letter to yourself at the end of the eight weeks. And the person who ran the course kept the letter and posted it to you sort of a few months later. And that was a very powerful thing, you know, because it was a letter to yourself. It didn't matter because it was, it was coming back to you. I found that a very powerful process I'm to really, go through. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said that because I was about to say that what, one of the things that I did while we were going through our first fertility journey was a course. And one of the exercises was to write a letter to myself. So I did that and I posted it to myself. Amazing. <laughs> Which does sound quite funny but it's so Amazing. powerful I found it incredibly powerful as well mm. and really moving yeah and it's quite like the loving kindness meditation it's so moving yeah. that you actually put yourself in the position of looking at yourself through someone else's eyes yeah it's it's really lovely actually and it is it's it's because often you can have compassion for yourself when you sort of step back and you kind of kind of go well what would I what would I want to be able to say to myself what would I want someone else to be able to say to me and sometimes it's hard to in that moment to say those things to yourself but if you have an idea of like well this is what I would like to be able to at some point say to myself um yeah that is powerful then when you receive it another time yeah people lock away these things and maybe get them out in kind of months or years to come um some people choose to write letters and and then burn them it's your thing it's up to you what you want to do with them but I think it's a it can be an incredibly powerful tool you might share them with other people as well if you wanted to but it's a bit like journaling really I think it's underestimated how incredibly life-changing that can be I'm pleased that you said life-changing because I talk about life-changing work quite a lot and I totally feel like my life changed for all kinds of reasons over the last kind of three to four years and but a big part of that was doing life rough stuff so if you're listening, have a go. Have a go. Writing. And I think also, I mean, going back to this idea of like life changing, I think some people can then, and this links to the sort of positive psychology, the post-traumatic growth, that it needs to be a big thing. Yeah. It actually doesn't. No, exactly. It really doesn't. It's like the small changes can be the biggest things. Because yeah. I, I think I had this idea that I would become someone who didn't care about the small stuff anymore because how could I? My baby died. How could I care about whether someone stole my milk at work? I still get annoyed that people still milk work. Yeah, like that doesn't change. Yeah, I think I have this idea that I wouldn't care. I do, but there are other things in my life that I've changed. So mm-hmm. it's not you don't I don't feel that you have to become a different person yes. or that you have to change the world. It's about changing your world for yourself that makes you know that makes your life kind of more fulfilling in some way. And that might be the tiniest thing, and that's okay. Small things matter. Yeah, such a good point. Thank you so much, Michelle. I feel like Thank you. I've spoken for ages. Yeah, we have. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been a really, really interesting conversation. I've really enjoyed it. It has been. Good. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs>
I think I could have carried on talking to Michelle for hours. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. So, so much insight there into Michelle's own healing process. And I really think that that letter writing tool is brilliant. So if you do give it a go, then let me know how you get on. I'd love to hear. If you're new to this podcast, then do go and find me on Instagram. This is Alice Rose. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter, but Instagram is really where the engagement happens and the community is really strong. So always highly recommend going to find all of the support that's there and go and have a look at my website too. This is alicerose.com where there's more resources and information about what I do and more coming up as well. Bit of a cryptic tease there but there's lots of plans and things that are boiling away in the background which I haven't shared yet but I hope to release in the new year so go to the website subscribe so you can keep up to date and if you do feel the urge to rate or review this podcast you will make my day I really love hearing from you what you think of this production production I mean it's just me and my spare bedroom that's that's literally what it is so if you want to leave me any feedback then that really motivates me and it really helps me to to know what's working so huge appreciation for being here as always and take very good care of yourselves and I'll see you next time Thank you.